Hi, and welcome to Being Lutheran, a podcast dedicated to proclaiming the excellencies of Jesus Christ and the biblical theology expressed in the Lutheran Confessions. Today, Pastor Jason Goodham, Pastor Brett Bowen, and myself continue our discussion on Article 8 of the Augsburg Confession, What the Church Is. Welcome to the Being Lutheran Podcast. I'm Pastor Brett Bow. I'm joined by Pastor Jason Goodham and Pastor Brian Rickey. All right, welcome. We're, we're back in the studio. We're back in the studio, but we're still on Article 8. Yes, right. This <laughs> well, isn't a redo of the last no, four episodes. No, we uh, because we decided to expand the article, because the doctrine of the church is so important to the message of Scripture. You know, the Article 4 on justification is the central message of Scripture, but the church and the argument of the Lutherans in the last two articles, Article 7 and Article 8, is where uh, the message of justification, the benefits of justification are received and applied. And so we decided to expand because the article itself had so much content to it. And now uh, we're going to follow that up with four Bible studies. What's going to be interesting about this is that all four are going to be in the New Testament. And uh, to be careful to not send the wrong message, it's not because of the doctrine of the church not existing in the Old Testament, but it's that Article 7 uh, kind of focuses on the universal principles that make the church the church, and Article 8 focuses on the very New Testament nature of the church, where the church exists because of the completed work of Christ on the cross and with the empty tomb. And and, and that's the whole thing. It's, uh, you know, it doesn't come out as strongly in this article but Luther is very strong on the doctrine of the church in the third article of the creed and the large catechism as the church is the place where we receive the forgiveness of sins. Yep. Amen. And plus what's, what's going on in the world between the pandemic and, you know, contested election stuff and all of that. I just think it's really good for us to remind ourselves what scripture teaches as to what the church is. And so we read the article. I think these scriptures are going to be really useful, I think, to all the people listening so that we can apply, like, what is the church? How can we be that faithful witness that we are called to be um, as the priesthood of all believers, as ambassadors for Christ, new creations, etc.? And so I think it's good for us to spend uh, a little bit extra time on this for sure. One of the things I think we should comment and point out too, especially with the nature of the, the pandemic, is this pandemic has forced us more or less to have to kill every false abstraction of what the church is and what the church's mission is. Because in real time, when there's only so much of what we can do, uh, it, it kind of gets rid of the foolishness that we've been chasing after for the last several decades, especially in America. And and really what this pandemic has ended up doing for the church is it's given us a crisis of incarnation. Mm-hmm. It's this this concept that we can do this digitally and it's fine. And I would be willing to put scare quotes around fine. Right. But, you know, just as God needed to redeem humanity through flesh and blood savior, mm-hmm. the church needs to be not only gathered around the flesh and blood of our savior, but we need to be present in the flesh and blood. It's not the same as a, a social club or just a group of people with common interests. The church needs to be together. Now, in the face of the pandemic, we need to be together safely and in a way that is loving and compassionate to our neighbors, but we still need to be together. It's, it's a necessity, and, and I've really seen both intentionally and unintentionally the doctrine of the incarnation coming to the fore the longer we try to navigate through this pandemic. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, so what we're going to do today in this episode is look at Matthew 13, at the both the parable of the weeds and the explanation of the parable of the weeds, to start to flesh that out and to consider and, and to continue to walk in that, uh, just really processing what the church is in this time, especially in this time right now. Yeah, we. it's going to be an excellent explanation of what the church looks like in the world and the nature of the church and how God operates. Uh, we can't ever um, confess or conceive of the existence of the church apart from the end times. And, and I think that's going to be an important part of what we're discussing here from Matthew 13. Yep, good. Well, let me read that for us. Matthew 13, verse 24 through 30, and then uh, after that... Verse 36 through 43, and you can read along with me in your Bible. And uh, and I don't know if I say this, I usually read from the ESV version, if you want to grab that. Um, it says this, He put another parable before them, saying, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who sowed good seed in his field, but while his men were sleeping, his enemy came and sowed seeds among the wheat and went away. So when the plants came up and bore grain, then the weeds appeared also. And the servants of the master of the house came and said to him, Master, did you not sow good seed in your field? How then does it have weeds? He said to them, An enemy has done this. So the servant said to him, Then do you, then do you want us to go and gather them? But he said, No, lest in gathering the weeds you root up the wheat along with them. Let both grow together until the harvest, and at harvest time I will tell the reapers, Gather the weeds first and bind them in bundles to be burned, but gather the wheat into my barn. And then on down to verse 36, it says, Then he left the crowds and went into the house, and his disciples came to him, saying, Explain to us the parable of the weeds of the field. He answered, The one who sows a good seed is the son of man. The field is the world, and the good seed is the sons of the kingdom. The weeds are the sons of the evil one, and the enemy who sowed them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age, and the reapers are angels. Just as the weeds are gathered and burned with fire, so will it be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send his angels, and they will gather out of his kingdom all causes of sin and all lawbreakers, and throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their Father. He who has ears, let him hear. Amen. 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 All right, parable of the weeds. Yeah, well, Jesus did a pretty good job of explaining yeah, right. it, so we're done end, here, end right? Brian, episode, you got a first for us? Yeah, we're, we're good. <laughs> do, actually. <Yeah. laughs> <laughs> got to save that for later. Yeah, but, how, you know, as far as its application goes, and I think that this is a really useful, um, maybe and even sometimes difficult conversation, yeah. is are there weeds in the church? And, of course, there are. Yeah. In the right. external church. There's, there's yes. weeds in the little C church, but yes. not in the big C church. Exactly. Right. right? And, and this is where there's been confusion throughout the years, especially among the heirs of the Protestant Reformation, is the phrase is used and often abused, there is no salvation outside the church. And it's because we're not clear what conception of the church we're speaking of. Mm -hmm. Now, there is no salvation outside the capital C church because that consists of those who have right. been saved by the, the proclamation of the, the big, gospel. The big C church. Yeah, the yep. big C church. Uh, but if we're talking about various denominations and their methods and modes, then it's you know downright heresy to say there's no salvation apart from 
XYZ denomination. Right. And I mean, the Roman Catholics have been guilty of that at times. Uh, Westboro Baptist, that's one of their... My old buddies. Yeah, your old buddies, your old church visitors. Oh, I forgot about that. <laughs> so we have to be careful with that. But this is, again, kind of what we said before you read, Brett, is yeah. so much of what we talk about with the nature of the church and the mission of the church becomes abstraction. And once we are dealing with the abstraction, it's anything goes. You you can you can you can make the mission of the church anything. You can make, you know, the church is it's not an institution, it's a movement, or it's it's not a religion, it's a relationship. And you, Ugh, you cringe, cringe, well, cringe, cringe. Even in the little C church, you end up drilling down with the individualism to the point that we have millions and millions of churches of one because our personal relationship with Jesus becomes a private and unique relationship with Jesus. And, and the church almost becomes superfluous to our own independent study and understanding and proclamation of scripture. And, and we move quickly from what does this mean to what does this mean to me? Uh, we have you know, over the course of the last 50 to 75 years, you have these, the mega church movement where the church becomes so big that it isn't really a denomination or it isn't really a congregation. It's a denomination unto itself. And then each one of the individual small groups ends up being a congregation and, and all of this clouds the picture. And, and so what we really need is clarity. You know, what are we talking about when we talk about the church? Is it the local church? Is it the big C church? And then what is the nature of the church? What is the purpose of the church? How does God work in and through the church in right. his creation? And all of those yep. are valid questions to have. Right. And and then when you, you start start going down that path of thinking about the church, and, and especially as you start to think about the, the little C church or churches as you think about it, like your local congregation that you go to, it's really helpful to bring in this parable of the weeds and think about how uh, by outward appearances, it, it looks like everybody is part of God's kingdom or mm -hmm. it looks like everybody there is a believer in Jesus Christ, but that's not always the case. Well, there's multiple layers of interpretation mm -hmm. with that too. On, 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 a, on a macro sense, this yep. parable is teaching that the capital C church exists in the world mm -hmm. alongside unbelievers. And, and no one would doubt that we're in the world and, and uh, often attacked by the world. But there's another interpretation, and this is where the intersection with the Augsburg Confession Article 8 is, yep. is that this parable also teaches that in the little C church, in the local congregation, uh, we cannot be assured that everyone who's attending the church is saved, mm -hmm. that everyone is a believer. And, and in fact, uh, one of the principles that the one that comes out specifically is that Satan works deliberately to insert unbelievers in the church to lead the church astray, to destroy souls. Um, and every so often, I, I know we studied one when we were in seminary, articles of like atheist movements or satanic movements who are training people to become like Sunday school teachers in, in churches in different locations and in, in doing actual real damage to the body of Christ uh, through these deceptive means. It's horrible. And it's it's awful, but the, I mean, you can look the stories up, they exist. Well, and I've even experienced that in one of the parishes I served where I, there was just blatant heresy being taught. And so, you know, when you come into a parish, you don't expect that to happen. But when it does, you you have to address it. 
So it's absolutely so important um, to just really have that sense of healthy doctrine. And and I'm telling you, if there's no really good positive oversight there, and, and obviously in a gentle and loving way, um, I, I, it's, it's really it's really atrocious because I think when we think about the meshes of reconciliation, we always get excited about the one side of the two-sided coin, about evangelism for the salvation of souls and things of that nature. You know what I'm saying? But when it comes to calling people to repentance, which is just as much a part of the message of reconciliation, we're doing a great disservice to the gospel of Christ. Well, I think really the fastest way to get a conservative Bible-believing church of any denomination— uh, Lutherans included in this, but of any denomination, is an improper uh, teaching on evangelism, Brian. I think you nailed it right in the head. The, the quickest way for us to get to works righteousness is to make evangelism a part of the law and not a response to the gospel. And, uh, you know, we've all been in environments where uh, the, the spiritual gift of evangelism is completely ignored and it becomes equally every Christian's responsibility to talk to every person about Jesus all of the time. And, and, you know, I think of some of the guilt-inducing programs that I went through in college mm -hmm. and the different notion, like if you didn't talk to your cashier at the grocery store about Jesus, then you failed. Now You're forgiven. Yeah. Thank you. I appreciate yeah, that. Yeah. But uh, on the one hand, every Christian is equally responsible to tell the truth when someone asks us about our faith. Yeah. We don't back down from that. We don't deny it. That's 1 Peter 3.15. The other hand, there are people who are uniquely gifted to evangelize, and, and it just comes out of them naturally, and I stand in awe of those people. I, I, it's a wonderful thing to behold. Uh, and it's a great comfort for the church that, it, you know, it seems like just about every congregation has one of them. Uh, but, you know, I know we all know a pastor, like he just can't help talk about Jesus all the time. And you, you just sit, you kind of cock your head sideways. And it's like, my goal when I go to the grocery store is to not make eye contact with anyone, get in and out <laughs> as fast as possible. Right. But the people who can it just make it a natural part of life, that's great. But we don't make that the role of every single Christian. It denies the nature of the church as the body of Christ, which we're probably going to touch on later. Yeah. But it also denies, and, and I think this will help us round back to the parable, the operative individual in the work of the church is the son of God. And when we think about the church in light of this parable, the one doing the work is Jesus. Amen. Yeah. It's, not the, it's not the people of the church. We're the wheat. We're just sitting there in God's field being wheat. <laughs> but the, the son of man, the work of the Trinity, Brian, I'll throw it to you that way. It's so often Christians waste so much energy trying to do God's job. Mm -hmm. Yeah, right. It, we think it makes me think of the verse that talks about, you know, I planted Apollos watered, and, but God caused the growth. The, the growth. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And in, obviously, we always want to be available for when God opens those doors. But quite frankly, as we stated before, God does not need us. No. He is totally sufficient through his word to call people to new life in himself. God does not need us. And maybe there's room for that to be humbling, but that should be 
comforting. It is beyond mm-hmm. thing, and it, that that brings us back to the Lord's prayer in the Catechism. It's that, especially the first three petitions, but really it's all seven petitions. The purpose of the Lord's prayer is to remind us that God is already doing what He has called us to pray for. Mm-hmm. And so when we pray, God's name is holy on its own. We pray it would be holy among us. God's will comes without our help. Yes. But we pray it would come to us. Exactly. God's kingdom comes without our participation. But we pray it would come to us and through us. And how that informs us that, number one, it comforts us when we think we missed a boat. God's got that covered. He already knew it was going to happen in in his divine foreknowledge. But at the other sense, it's like, well, I don't need to manufacture these events. I just need to be ready for when God brings them my way. And I think there's a great comfort in that. And I think that there is a responsibility to give a hope for what's in the, in the belief that we have in Christ Jesus, as Peter writes in his first epistle. But at the same time, we don't need to manufacture those events. Yeah. Well, it's all we need to do when you say we need to be ready for when God uses us, we just need to be living out our vocations. Yeah. And there's the vocation. Hey, good job. Not an artificial segue. That was a natural thing. Appropriate use of the term vocation. We're going to get back to that. But that's really what it is. When we think about the three of us in our vocations as pastor... What it means is we have responsibilities that we are called to do well. That's mm-hmm. the, the function of the law in our lives as Christians. And so each week we are called to write a good sermon accurately declaring the truth of God from his word. There's no excuse for us to just slough it off or, or to not do it. But when we stand in that pulpit and we preach, God is doing the work. And it, it never ever ceases to amaze me as a pastor that almost without exception, when I think I've written uh, a good sermon and I think it's put together, when I get up to deliver it, it sounds like I'm delivering it as I fall down the stairs. It's Mm. just clumsy and awful. And when I am in the pulpit and I, my sermon feels like a disaster, it's almost always that that's when I get the best feedback. Like I really, really, you know, was spoken to by this. And I was like, oh man, I felt like a complete disaster in the pulpit. But that reminds us that no matter how hard we work and we are called to work hard, mm-hmm. it is the Spirit who is doing the work Amen. through us. Amen. And that's that's the same for every vocation. Just because we're talking about the church, it doesn't mean that we're exceptional through that. It's we remember that our vocation on from our perspective teaches us how to love our neighbor. Yeah. But from God's perspective, that's the larva day. Yeah. That's where God is hiding himself in our vocations to provide for the rest of his creation. Yeah. I, I just, yeah, and and even throughout life, I remember talking to uh, several congregation members in various times, just how kind of we had that conversation where it's like, oh, I don't need to be like manufacturing these events. I'm like, no, just be available. I said, just in, in your everyday life. And it's amazing um, when you just walk in that everyday aspect of your life, how God will bring those people right across your path and, and doors will open and God will provide that way. Um, but at the same sense, if we get back to our text here, you know, we can't th- always assume that everyone that attends that church yeah. on that Sunday morning is really a believer in Christ Jesus. At the, on the other side of that, as we acknowledge a tree is known by its fruit, it's not necessarily always our responsibility to, to try to flush that out or try to expose right. those things. You know, we, I think as we build relationships, there's going to be opportunities even within the walls of the church 
to be able to minister and even evangelize to those attending the church. You know, because as we were asked in seminary, do we evangelize the baptized? Well, absolutely we do. You know, and so there's always opportunities within the four walls of the church to apply this parable and to not assume that everybody is wheat within the walls of our church. One of my favorite Luther quotes, and this will be a paraphrase, but he he said something to the effect, I always preach the gospel because my people always forget the gospel. Yeah, good. And I love that quote. Yep. I think I think there's two more things we got to pull up quickly from this passage in particular that is teaching us about the nature of the truth. One is God's patience mm-hmm. in his love for souls that he recognizes the work of Satan. He's, a, oh, he's aware of it, but he doesn't react in a knee-jerk way to it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, with the, the letting them be, because yeah. you, know, you might pull out the wheat when you're, yeah. And, and the second thing is we don't want to make too much of a parable, but if we import the teaching of the rest of Scripture to, you know, and, and make this parable line up with it, one of the miracles of what this ends up being is God waits because through his will and through his word and through his work, mm-hmm. some of the weeds become wheat. Mm-hmm. You know, that's the yeah. whole thing, right? It's God has that power. And at the same time, through his compassion, some of the wheat don't become weeds. Yeah, well, yeah, <laughs> it, 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 you know, there's much less of a flow in that direction. Yep. But you look at this parable and sure, it has plenty to say about the end times. Uh, I would love to go off on a screed in a rant screed. about what this says about the rapture, but I'm not going to do that. Mm-hmm. I think it says plenty. Um, mm-hmm. But it reminds us the church must always exist with eternity on the brain. The, the nature of the harvest is that it comes when God is ready. And so we're always in the church as it exists in the world, living in the anticipation of judgment day, mm-hmm. not necessarily as a matter of guilt and fear, mm-hmm. but as the re- realization God is going to return. Christ is coming yep. back for us and, and the harvest is at hand. Yep. It should comfort us, grant us peace for those of us in the church, should also lend a sense of urgency to how we operate in our vocations in the world. Well, and, and as we, you know, if we were going to chapter 24 and 25, it's live as though Christ was going to come back today, right. but prepare as though he won't for your lifetime. Correct. And that's really the heart of all of this. And I wonder too, you know, similar to chapter 25 with the sheep and the goats of it's not a matter of like how much your wheat is producing, but are you a wheat versus yeah. mm-hmm. are you a weed? Yeah. Are, are you a you... sheep or are you a goat? Yeah, we're not we're not talking about the level of the harvest yeah. here. We're not talking about the quality of the grain that each one is producing. It's God has made us to be yes. wheat by yep. his goodness and his grace. And in his time, he will gather us mm-hmm. and bring us home. And that's what it amounts to. Yep. Amen. Yes, good good comfort there. Well, I don't know why I was led here, but I was, to Acts chapter 2 as Peter rounds out his sermon, and, and uh, the word has its effect. Yeah. Uh, so those who received his word were baptized and were added to that day about 3,000 souls, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles, and all who believed were together and had all things in common. Amen. Amen. Thank you for joining us. Please look us up on the web at beinglutheran.com. Also, invite a friend to check us out on Spotify and iTunes. Please join us next week as we continue our discussion on Article 8 of the Augsburg Confession. God bless you and have a great week.